Hey, welcome back to another episode of Ruby Rogues. This week on our panel, we have Valentino Stoll. Hey there. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. It's just the two of us this week. We're going to be talking about Ruby 3.2. Yeah, lots of good stuff coming out. Yeah, I, I'm a little curious before we get too far into things. Have you played with it much? or? Yeah, I've been experimenting mostly because, uh, you know, they have all the the dev tooling kind of introducing now, which is really fun to work with. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've kind of looked at it, but I've been pretty buried with other stuff and I haven't been able to play with it and see what happens. So yeah, let's let's jump in and talk through some of this stuff. So yeah, so where do you want to start? I mean, there's so much in here. Like you said, a lot of dev tooling. Um, there's some performance stuff. I see some uh, like WASM stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could dig into the performance first. I mean, that's definitely hands down yeah. the uh, the largest improvements. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm seeing something here about YJIT, and I think we did an episode on that a while back. Yeah, it's, it's kind it. of like a cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we've had uh, Kevin Newton on quite a few times, uh, uh-huh. who's been working on uh, not only YJIT, but uh, you know, a lot of the parser stuff. Uh, right. And we've had uh, Takashi. Yeah. Takashi Kokobun. Yeah. And he's also on the YJ team. Uh, yeah. And uh, I mean, it's just kind of incredible to see the numbers. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was t- I was taking a look at a, a couple benchmarks that are out there. Uh, you, know, you, you can view these for yourself. Shopify is pretty open about what they're benchmarking against. Uh, and, you know, RailsBench being one of them. Um, right. The, also against Active Record and the, Shopify's liquid template rendering. Uh, mm-hmm. And just like kind of across the board, just using <laughs> YJIT, <laughs> you know, they see like uh, north of 30% uh, performance increase just using YJIT. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, it's always interesting because, you know, we talked to Takashi before it was released and, you know, it's it's interesting to see, okay, where's it at now? But what what does it really like look like when they go, oh, here, you know, right? here's a production version. So, yeah, I mean, if you just focus on active record, which, you know, most people mm-hmm. <laughs> will probably see the best uh, improvement from, uh, you know, that's that 37% from their benchmarks. Um, and so just... Nice. Just using Ruby 3.2, you get that out of the bag with your Rails app. Uh, It's kind of incredible. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's it's been combined with a few other things kind of on their memory Mm -hmm. side. Uh, Right. Ruby's memory footprint is notoriously a hog. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Yeah, it's it's better (laughs) than it was when I started writing Ruby, what, 16 years ago, but it's... (laughs) Yeah, it's it's still not ideal. Yeah. So I mean, the the two topics I see that come out of of three point two are are the variable width allocation and object shapes. Uh-huh. Uh And variable width allocation uh, is pretty neat. Kind of just a way of uh, minimizing how objects grow. Right. So like the array starts at no ob- objects it you know has a certain way of expanding the memory footprint behind the objects you put in it kind of thing um 
it's kind of over my head. <laughs> but I'm happy to see that, you know, that memory allocation is being worked on. <laughs> right. Because I don't like to think about it. I don't know about you. <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> this kind of makes me want to upgrade my stack just to be able to use this, right? Because... I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily downgrade any of the servers or systems that I'm using, but I, it, I mean, it gets me more mileage out of out of the stuff I've already got out there, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I use a uh, a Huggin server, uh, which is built on Ruby. Um, Huggin, yeah. Uh, it's basically a if then this that, but all locally stored, and you run it yourself, kind of thing. Uh, oh, it's super super fun to play with. <laughs> uh, and I, I hook up uh, a lot of automation to my home assistant through that. Uh, and oh, I, no, I, I bumped it to, to 3.2 and didn't have any issues really just using a, a different, you know, Ruby 3.2 Docker container. So, Right. I never even thought to look for a if this, then that replacement. <laughs> You, you might have just changed my whole outlook on things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could probably do a whole episode just on hugging. <laughs> but well, <laughs> yeah, we may just want to get whoever built it on and just say, "Hey, you know, what is this?" And you know, what what did you learn putting it together? Yeah, it's it's super cool. Uh, pretty well built. I mean, I haven't had any issue on it. It's like. Kind of takes a bit to get your head around how uh, all the different services come together because it's like, you know, I wouldn't say microservice architected, but the concepts are. <laughs> right. Because uh, you just have a bunch of, you know, services that you want to listen and emit events and then things receive events and do other things with them. Um but once you get past that, <laughs> the the front end interface it has a whole web UI, uh, and it's really not that hard to get going on it. <laughs> it's, right. a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm gonna have to play with it and see what I can do with it because I'm I'm really curious to see how that comes together. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's H U G I N N. Um, but yeah, because. You know, I pay for Zapier and I've paid for make.com is the other one that I use. And yeah, I mean, it's nice to not have to write those integrations, right? Figure out, okay, API this, API this, and okay, right. now I've got to glue it together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be really curious to see how this goes. And mostly it's to automate the processes around the podcast. So, oh, cool. anyway, so, yeah. so, so are you seeing, you said you moved it up to 3.2. Were you measuring any of the performance before or after? Or? Well, so I had it on a free uh, Heroku instance, which is uh -huh. you know no longer free. Uh, <laughs> but I did, <laughs> <laughs> I did deploy it. Uh, I have my own uh, Linode server that I now have, uh, right? You know, a Heroku clone of uh, Doku, and I, I deployed it on that, and I did see a you know significant reduction in, in memory usage which was kind of wild right uh, but i'm i'm not like a power user so <laughs> take that with a grain of salt <laughs> yeah i but i mean to just deploy something and see instant results i mean that's pretty wild <laughs> 
Right. All, all I did yeah. was upgrade the Ruby. <laughs> yeah, Doku's another thing that I need to have a deeper look at because I'm I'm deploying to separate servers. It's kind of a pain in the butt using Capistrano and stuff. I mean, it, it works now, but yeah, it'd be interesting to dive into that. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, anyway. I mostly started with that because I didn't understand Docker containers at the time. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> and I just wanted a quick way to, you know, push something up and let let it just handle itself and that was an easy way, easy out. <laughs> but there could be a better thing, so <laughs> you know, use what you know. Yep. <laughs> well, I kind of like to get deeper into the container arena and get to know it a little bit better, but anyway, um so yeah, so I'm I'm liking that. And the widget, I mean, we've talked about it, so we don't have to go into too much detail. But yeah, it's uh, just-in-time compilation. Um, and so, yeah, as you as your program runs, it compiles more and more of your work so that it, it can run it in a faster way, basically. Yeah, and I mean, we'll see. I'll keep benchmarking my own and see if it improves over time, right? Which is kind of the whole thing, the longer that it's running. Yeah. Uh, the the better it should get. Um, but yeah, so far, so good. I mean, first first impression is pretty great. <laughs> yep. Um, I'm looking through the changes that they listed. I don't know if I see the object shape or whatever you were talking about there. Yeah, so uh, oh, object, sa- object shapes are really cool. Um, you know, kind of started by the late Chris Seaton uh, and you know, I know Gemma Isroff is kind of also taking over a lot of that. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just kind of wild adding metadata to the objects, uh, you know, the Ru- Ruby objects themselves, um, just to get the performance out of, you know, being able to tell what objects contain what data and reference to uh, who their hierarchy is and things like that. And by by adding that metadata, you know, Ruby can search through those uh, dependency graphs r- much quicker. Uh, oh, I see. Yeah. So then it allows it to go in and clean it up more efficiently. Yeah, and they're able to target, you know, what constants uh, they need to pull from during runtime and, uh, you know, instance vari- what instance variables are declared on it and things like that. So just having that metadata on top of every object, just like it gives so much opportunity there to uh, help optimize your, you know, the Ruby runtime um, a- as it goes, because it doesn't have to find out, figure out what those things are, you know, <laughs> in memory after the fact. Uh, so it'll be interesting to yeah. see how that develops. It's kind of still a little early, I think, but uh Pretty cool stuff. Uh, the the most excited stuff I I've been for Ruby three two, and I mean, most this is probably the the stuff I've had the most experience with working uh, is all the dev tooling. So there's like right. uh, you know a number of new uh, tools that have been kind of surfaced from all of the extra work, uh, you know, from the parser and uh, What was it? The uh, right. the error highlighter, as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, but the basically what I, 
what I've discovered is the the Ruby language server protocol or a Ruby LSP yeah. gem. And it's mm-hmm. just so incredible. <laughs> it, it lets you run the, the language server and, uh, you know, hook it up to your favorite editor and give you kind of uh, a, a bunch of different uh, actions uh, that you can capture. Uh, and as an example, like hovering over a, a constant and you can go to definition of it, uh, you know, peek into uh, how it's defined. You know, a, a lot of things that maybe we're taking gr- for granted from other languages. <laughs> um, right. And it's just so much fun to so, play with. <laughs> yeah, now, um, my familiarity with language services, language servers, is basically down to how VS Code, right, connects with my program. So does is the is this gonna enhance my experience there, and maybe in like Ruby Mine and other things, you know, as those get implemented, or how how is this gonna impact me? Because I don't know that I'm gonna use these tools on my own, right? Right. Uh, yeah. So I mean, those are all all of they're like a, you know, as an example, VS Code. There's a Ruby LSP extension mm-hmm. that that kind of brings that all these new features uh to that that particular okay. editor um as kind of what's been targeted for uh you know a first draft of it <laughs> um right. and that's where you'll see most of the the supported features out of it um so i mean i've seen a, a few others like a vim one as an example um that because there's a Vim LSP that you can plug into and uh, use the language server provided by Ruby now to, mm-hmm. you know, tie into a lot of the common things. Uh, like you'd have, like a hover over word or something like that. Um, right. So no, it's a lot of fun, uh, kind of seeing what's coming out of it. Now that it's like, you know, kind of baking into the language, uh, there'll be a lot more, you know, coming out. And so it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how you can like maybe execute Ruby from the line that you're on or, uh, uh-huh. you know, I don't know, it'll, just the, the endless possibilities. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. It, I mean, and some of it, it catches syntax. Some of it's the error highlighting, like you mentioned, Um yeah, anyway, it's it's really cool if you want to go look at the documentation for what they released. We mentioned performance before. There's the MJIT and the YJIT. Is, do you have to do something different to use MJIT versus YJIT? Uh, yeah, there's a special flag. Uh, and you can turn it on by default if you're you know running it behind some server. Um, but, you know, if you're just running a Ruby script as a daemon or something like that, uh, you can provide the flag to to run it okay. in a special special case. Uh, Does it default to one or the other? I, it de- defaults to off still, I believe. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if that switched in three two. I feel like it didn't. I'll I'll have to look at look it up and see if I can find something that tells you how to. Because what I'd like to do is if it speeds up Rails, right? I want to turn it on for my Rails apps. Um, one other thing that caught my eye was the WebAssembly support. Yeah, this looks really cool. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, well, one of the things I noticed is that uh, they gave an example of this WASI VSF virtual file system layer. Uh huh. Um, so you can basically compile your uh, compile Ruby as a WASM uh, right file itself. So that comes packaged kind of uh, as part of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you could just use your, you know, typical WASM uh, executables to, to run them. Um, right. And so it, it runs the packaged Ruby version with the program you wrote. Right. That's, that's awesome too. <laughs> I want to go play with all this stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be interesting. I know that uh, there is a like uh, JavaScript package of this that you could play with. That uh-huh. I think that they use for the TryRuby website. Um, yeah, we talked to um, what's his name, the guy that did Opal. You know, back in December, we talked to him, and it sounds like they're using Opal for TryRuby, or at least they were until this got released. I don't know. Um, yeah, so I think the default is Opal and the, yeah. the fallback is the WASM. Okay. So you can kind of run them both through each and see how they interpret dif- maybe differently. <laughs> right. Um, it's kind of fun to play with. But I mean, I would just love to just, you know, <laughs> write some Ruby code and then throw a single line of JavaScript on a page in the header and just have it work, right? <laughs> right. That would be so fun. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that it talks about is um, a lot of the edge computing runs a JavaScript engine and a WebAssembly engine, right? And so if you have a WebAssembly ed- engine out wherever, right, you, you can write JavaScript. You can write some other language that co- compiles to WASM, and that includes Ruby. And so. Yep. Yeah, I think uh yeah, I think AWS Lambda even supports uh servers yeah. functions in WebAssembly. So yep. <laughs> just it's just wild. <laughs> yeah, and again, you know, it's just it it opens up all these avenues for you to do what you need to do without necessarily having to write another language. I mean, I don't know if there are performance implications or other things to that, but for the most part, it's exciting just to be able to go, you know what? I can be productive in my programming with this stuff. I guess it comes down to how heavily you're using it, right? Right. <laughs> I think for just kind of fun one-off scripts, like WASM makes so much so much sense, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're just trying to play in something and you want to see how it, a preview of how it's running or works, like, you know, Wasm is great. Like, yep. do it in whatever language you're doing, and then post it up. Like, <laughs> publish the Wasm, and and, mm-hmm. and you know, get it working in the browser. It's, everybody has a browser, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of excited just to, like I said, just go see what I can do with it. Um, are there are there other use cases for that that you can think of, or? I'm not sure, really. <laughs> to be honest, my my usage of Wasm is pretty low, other than just like seeing how other people have used it. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, if you have a, you know, the the best example I could think of is like, you know, 
wasm can is really useful if you like have a problem with <laughs> people that write in a bunch of different languages and you want mm-hmm. them to just all consolidate into one thing but i mean that that introduces introduces its own things <laughs> uh maintainability yep. as an example but i don't know back to ruby <laughs> uh, <laughs> one thing i did notice uh you know back to the performance stuff uh is there was like a lot of work into the regular expression uh algorithms uh and like the long term performance implications of it are just like incredible <laughs> yep uh, and, and just as an example, like uh, some regular expressions after, uh, you know, after say thirty times of it of it being captured, uh, you know, the time it took after each successive match uh, just climbed through the roof <laughs> exponentially, uh, <laughs> and so that that's kind of been normalized now. So. Uh, you know, the, it takes a, about the same amount of time every time to to look through, uh, you know, matches. Um, so you just don't get lags anymore. Uh, and I don't even know how that works. <laughs> uh, I would go check it out and you know r- write up an article so I could <laughs> get the TLDR. But uh, I didn't know that this was even a thing <laughs> that I should be watching out uh-huh. for. <laughs> And it's right. kind of going to to check to make sure you know <laughs> that there aren't any cases that that may be like causing some bottlenecks. <laughs> uh, but playing with Ruby three two, I mean, this I would say maybe second to the actual uh, you know language server stuff was uh, mm-hmm. this error highlight. Uh, yeah, you know, written by Yusuke Endo and. Uh, it's just so much better. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, you know, gotten one of the, you know, undefined method for nil class errors before. Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> but it, now it's, it's fun- it, it it tells you right, you know, and it exact it highlights, yeah. you know, kind of uh with the exact place that you know it happens. Uh, so you can see it. You know, it's it, yeah <laughs> it, the how this was missing for so long, you know? <laughs> well, it's funny because, um, you know, I, I either joke about or talk to people and pretty much everybody agrees that 95% of the errors you get are, you know, nil, you know, this, this method doesn't exist on nil or, you know, something related to that. This one is nil can't be coerced on the on the web page and so yeah i mean then it's okay well i've got like nine variables on that line right (laughs) which which one's nil and yeah i mean that that clears it up it's like hey this guy right here can't you know i didn't expect it to be nil yeah and i mean kind of kind of in line with that uh thinking is uh the new data object Mm -hmm. uh which kind of goes to as a stand-in for for struct, because um, you know if, if you think about the 
the cases where you usually have it, you know, you're trying to call a method on nil, it's because mm-hmm. you're, you know, getting an object back that you didn't expect. Uh, and typically it's because you don't know what to expect. <laughs> right. Uh, and a lot of times clearing up, uh, making it clear the the inputs to methods or how, you know, data should be shaped within different objects, you can clean a lot of that up uh, and make it more explicit, which kind of goes to like the, the whole typing argument. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I'm not, I'm kind of with Luke on this. <laughs> we're, we're missing his, his uh, you know, scream into the void about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm definitely on, on the air on the side of, you know, loving Ruby's dynamic nature and just being able to, mm-hmm. you know, treat everything like an object and worry about it later kind of thing. Yeah. But when you do have specific things where you, you know, you should expect these uh, specific shapes of data and you want to, you know, if it doesn't match that data, you want to know in advance when you're, you know, building stuff. Um, I, I think this new data object uh, just makes so much sense. It was kind of interesting. I mean, looking at not just the the data, but, you know, some of the other things that they added to some of the other data structures too, like hash shift now always returns nil if the hash is empty. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. The The module one is just refinements and stuff, which I, I never use refinements. <laughs> Um, you know, the, some of the syntax abstract syntax tree is kind of cool. Um, the struct, you know, just cleaning that up and make it making it easy. I like that too. But I also thought it was interesting they got rid of fixed num and big num. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't I can't recall the time I've used them <laughs> recently. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I have either. I mean, if if I use anything, I think it's big int instead of big num. Yeah, I've used big int before. Yeah. Uh, random double colon default. I don't know that I've ever used that either. What did that do? <laughs> Beats the heck out of me. <laughs> um a couple other ones that were interesting that got removed is uh dir or directory dot exists yeah and file dot exists uh, I, I i use i've used that i still use that i i don't know i don't know if that's gonna hurt or if there's some other approach you're supposed to take that's interesting i what <laughs> when did that happen <laughs> i mean it's listed here but yeah, it says it's been deprecated since 2.1.0. Uh, um, yeah, now I'm curious to know why. Anyway, yeah, I forget. <laughs> maybe they made, maybe they made the other ones um, kind of nil safe or something like that. Right. So if, if the file doesn't exist, then it just, you know, if you do file.read or file.whatever, it is smart enough to just, I don't know. 
it was always a check I used to make sure that I didn't get an error when I tried to do those things. Yeah. The file doesn't exist because I would get a, an error saying that file's not there. Yeah, I know I used to use them for, <laughs> you know, if this file exists, do this other process right. otherwise, mm-hmm. right? So <laughs> I, I'm sure I'll have some scripts that no longer work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that'll have to be updating. We'll have to circle back and talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. If somebody listening to this knows the answer, I'd be curious to hear it. Um, <laughs> I guess maybe you just rescue the error, right? But I, I don't like using that for that kind of control, right? A begin rescue block. I would rather do the check ahead of time and just let it flow through without having to rescue a file error. Yeah. Kernel taint, kernel trust. I never use those. I'm betting stuff I use use uses or used those but yeah and then they also got rid of the equal tilde which i've i've used for regular expressions there are other ways to do the things that i've used it for so i can kind of see why they might anyway it's kind of interesting to dive in and see what's changed it looks like the equal tilde was removed from object yeah it's showing it as kernel on the on the list that I'm looking at. Yeah, maybe that's the same. Maybe they're synonymous. <laughs> yeah, could be. It could be because I think object inherits from kernel. So I think just about everything inherits from kernel. Yeah. So on the list, it says kernel dot or kernel. But if you click the link for the feature, it says object equal tilde. I'm also curious because I know a lot of people, and I'm one of these people, right? that are still running their code on Ruby 2, right? A lot of my stuff is still running on 2.7. I just never upgraded it. A lot of it was because it was on Rails and there really weren't compelling arguments to move it to 3. But if you can turn on YJIT and get a 30-40% performance boost, at least on some of your code, that that's starting to sound like it makes sense. Do you see people moving this way then? Or do you think people are going to kind of sit where they are until they have to move? Well, Ruby's end of life is uh, for 2.7 is up. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah, December 25th. Uh, yeah, 2.7. Two 2.7 uh, is not end of life yet, but... No. 2.6 is. Yep. It's interesting also to think that 2.7 came out three years ago. But yeah, it ends in two months and two weeks. Yeah. The clock is ticking, I, y'all. <laughs> yeah, but again, I don't know that people are really compelled to move until there's a problem or until there's a major advantage. Well, you know, the biggest problem with having an end-of-life language is you don't get any security fixes. <laughs> right. Yeah, I understand that. And I, I agree that that's an issue. But again... I, I talk to a lot of people in a lot of companies that just aren't compelled to to make a move until it bites them one way or the other. Or until they start doing an audit and realize, oh, you know, Ruby 3.2 is going to get me major. You know, it's going to make a lot of things better for me. But most of the time it's because it bites them in the rear end one way or the other. Or the security folks at their company that they work at go, you can't use this to send a life. 
Right. And I only see that really in the bigger companies. Most of the smaller companies that I've worked at, they just, it never occurred to them. Yeah, you know, I when I did consulting, it was, you know, small business, businesses using Rails. And, you know, a lot of them had somebody build something and it worked mm-hmm. and it continued to work for them, you know, for years and years. And, you know, they'd be on Rails 1, you know, with like all the oldest, you know, 187. <laughs> and yeah. it was working for them still. And so... You know, <laughs> I can't imagine running that still, uh, but who knows if they are still, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, if you own your own server and uh, you want to run that, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, who knows, you know, how they're being targeted. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, yeah. nowadays, you know, there are so many like autonomous bots just crawling the web, like. Uh, I yeah, it's it, it'd be interesting to find out. Uh, I I'm sure there's got to be somebody with some research on, you know, who runs like older versions of, you know, how, what what the numbers actually are, because I I bet they're right. a lot higher than I think. I think there are a lot of people running old versions. <laughs> Yeah, and then they had some benchmarks in in that because you sent me a link to the Ruby Weekly, and so there were a bunch of benchmarks in there too. Um, and what's fascinating to me is that some of the benchmarks you can see a market improvement in some areas, and others you really can't. Right? It just kind of holds steady with past versions on yep. some things and not others. And so I think, and and this makes sense, right? I mean, some of these. Performance improvements are in areas that certain functions or functionalities just use more. And so. Yeah, I think a lot of it, too, is like uh, a lot of foundation is getting laid. Right. So, yeah. Uh, you know, you get what is the uh, the famous uh, expression of, uh, you know, make make it easy, make the make it easy to change and then make the easy change. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I think just like a lot of groundwork is getting laid out to like build out, you know, mm-hmm. kind of another layer to all of these new additions that will just bring those drastic improvements. And I mean, I have a feeling, you know, what, when we get to Ruby 4, <laughs> uh, if you compared it to Ruby 2, it would, you know, I, I just have a feeling that it's going to be a significant difference. I mean, even if you just think now of Ruby 3 to Ruby, you know, Ruby 1, <laughs> right? Yep. Like, I feel like the the difference has to be drastic. It's got to be hard first to to make a benchmark <laughs> to, on something that old. But uh, yep. that, that could be, that could cross both. But I mean, it's got to be drastic, right? Like, Absolutely. But I mean, like like I said, if you're just like a small business and you're not really using it to process anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you have a five steps that you know your business goes through to 
uh, you know, get get it to where it, it saves you the time and effort uh, or, you know, solves a problem. Uh, you know, I feel like for a lot of those cases. Um, yeah. Yeah. Why? It's, why bother? <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at some of these benchmarks like there's the benchmark uh, 26 to 3.2 from Thomas Leitner. And he, he demonstrates that there are some improvements in some areas. And his benchmarks included um, HexaPDF, uh, Cramdown, and GeoM2D. And yeah, so like the, the HexaPDF, there was there were speed ups in some with the uh, um, 3.2 widget and in other areas, it just really didn't seem to make much of a difference. Um, doing just raw text, it, it, you know, again, it showed improvements in some areas and not much in others. Um, what, what I found interesting was you get down into the cram down and, Three three dot two is the slowest with cram down, um, which is a markdown parser, right? And then uh, you turn the widget on, and it performs as well as everything except for three dot one dot three with widget. And then you look at the geo M two D, and the the widget clearly makes a major difference. I don't know what geo M two D does. But it's instructions per second, and it looks like the widget just really, you know, put some gas in the tank for how many instructions it can execute. Whereas without widget, it doesn't seem, it seems pretty constant. So anyway, kind of interesting. The other benchmark that I was looking at was from uh, Peter Solnitsa. Um, and he did it with this, with Hanami's test suite. And... Ruby 3.2 without widget actually outperformed Ruby 3.2 with widget. So, um, anyway, just, just kind of interesting stuff, right? And like you said, yeah. you're, we're probably setting the foundations for a lot of this stuff, but yeah. <laughs> Hanami is wild. <laughs> I, yeah, I saw I saw a benchmark the other day that uh, they had to change uh, their logger uh, because some of the requests can be in microseconds response time. <laughs> uh huh. And so they had it in milliseconds, and it, it you know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's a good problem to have, though, right? Right. <laughs> They they needed that new uh, you know micro uh, signifier to <laughs> right, but that's I mean that's pretty wild that you can get uh, response times in Ruby in microseconds. Uh, mm -hmm. It's really really impressive stuff. Oh yeah. I don't know if there's anything else to really dive into with this that I'm seeing. I just find it fascinating kind of the steps forward that we're getting. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I, I saw a, uh, you know, Aaron Patterson has a very entertaining year in review. That was uh, a lot of fun to read through a lot of these highlights. Uh, yeah. You know, 
I'd recommend checking Aaron that out. Aaron is always uh, entertaining. So. <laughs> but, yeah, and it looks like, yeah, a lot, it requires... That was another thing I saw in here, and I think we talked about we talked to Takashi about this, but just that the um, it, the YJIT makes Rust a requirement to compile Ruby. Yep. I mean, most of the tools I do, they just do it for me. So, right. I mean, if you're going to be just downloading Ruby, you probably won't need to install Rust. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. But I mean oh, it'll be interesting go. to see how yeah. that rust the, plays out. Yeah, the year in review from uh Aaron Patterson, that's where he talks about the variable width allocation and that that kind of a thing in object shapes. Yep. So that's another resource. We'll put links to all this in the show notes. Um I've been adding some of these links to the we have a collaboration forum that we use for a lot of this stuff. So I'm just going to put a lot of these links in there, but um, yeah, very cool stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, next I, to that, I would, I would say, you know, a lot of the IRB stuff is, is really fun too. <laughs> I don't know if I saw that. Uh, so IRB has become its own gem now. So, um, oh, okay. You, you can, it, it's bundled like a lot of the other default gems are. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but it can evolve independent of Ruby. But yeah, lots of new keywords have come to IRB sessions now to mimic a lot of what was missing from what Pry has added over the years, mm -hmm. right? So you can, yeah. you know, show commands and LS methods and just like a ton of debug stuff. So you can, you can finally step through Ruby code in a, a you know, visually appealing way <laughs> uh, without get, you know, needing Ruby mine or, or something like that to do that for you. That's interesting. Another interesting one. Yeah. I've, I found that in this list here um, is the bundler. You can do a double dash X equals rust. If you have a rust extension and it'll build it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But why use ERB when you've got Hamel? <laughs> I feel you there. <laughs> I moved one of my projects over to Hamel and the migration was a little bit painful, but oh my gosh, is it so nice? It's like I don't have to scroll down scroll down 10 years to figure out where the close close <laughs> div is that I missed. Right. So one thing that I did run into though is that when you run the Hamel or HTML to Hamel script, it didn't pick up the web components folder. And so I've I've got to figure out how to run it on that. I think you just have to tell it to run it on that folder. I just haven't done it yet. Mm. But that, that would be super helpful too. Um, anyway, I, I think, like I said, I think we're kind of at the end of this discussion. Um, so let's go ahead and move into the, the self-promo before we do the picks. So is there anything you're working on you want to let people know about? Uh, yeah, I've... Uh... I've been working with uh, OpenAI's API recently uh, at work um, oh, nice. to uh, help generate uh, 
<laughs> generate insurance denial letter like responses. So oh wow, <laughs> uh, some uh, there was a there's a Twitter uh, a Twitter video of some doctor you know, showing how to use Chat GPT to uh-huh. you know generate you know oh my you know patient got denied this in you know <laughs> medication that they need. Uh, so you know here we go. We're gonna it's like just like. You know, GFGI, but for Chat GPT. Oh yeah, generate me, uh, you know, a letter appealing this denial from this insurance company. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's so, that's interesting because I've yeah. experienced that. I switched insurances, and the new insurance uh, denied <laughs> the medication I was on, and they basically told the doctor, "You have to try these other ones first. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm on the other ones anyway. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> But yeah, so I've been playing with our API and worked with a bunch of teammates to kind of build that, you know, around this, uh, you know, chat GPT, uh, you know, training some new models and and trying out a bunch of stuff uh, with their API. And it's just so much fun. It's uh, kind of incredible what you can do with it, <laughs> you know. And it's yeah. a little funny because, you know, a lot of the responses are just like, you know, they're so opinionated and they're like, they make it up, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, <laughs> you, you have to like heavily edit them. <laughs> but right. at the same time, you know, it's so, it's just so much fun. And you, you could play with, you know, uh, how much that it, you know, changes the response from what, mm-hmm. when you ask it the same thing every time. Uh, there's just so many things you could tweak on it. And uh, I just, it's, I've just been having a blast. Right. No, this isn't a form letter. It's an AI generated letter. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've been seeing a lot of that actually, deciphering whether or not Chat GPT generated it, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I've I've seen threads. I, I ran for school board this last year and and so I'm still in a lot of the education spaces and yeah, seeing people go, Okay, well, we were worried about plagiarized content on the internet before. <laughs> Now we have to figure out whether or not an AI wrote it or a student wrote it. <laughs> uh, so fun. Yeah, I've been playing with some of the AI stuff too. I think I'm going to just pick it in my uh, picks though. Um, for the stuff that I'm working on, I'm gearing up to release a course. Uh, the course is basically going to be um, how to consistently and in many cases, quickly advance your programming career. Um, I've talked about my process before, so it's not going to be a major secret, but I'm going to get into the nuts and bolts in the course, right? So when I talk about, hey, you need to learn something new every day, it's going to be, hey, you can learn it from YouTube videos. Here's how you, you know, find the relevant stuff. Um, Here, find relevant blog posts, right? Find relevant books, find relevant you know, podcast episodes on and on and on. Right. And then, you know, when it's commit code every day, it's like, you know, here are several things that you can do to make sure you're committing code every day with the stuff you're learning. Um, Walk people through how to meet people, Um, walk people through uh, how to create a media channel and post to it every week. You know, these are all parts of the process, right? How to find a solid meetup you can go to, how to find a, a conference you can attend, right? Whether you can afford to travel or not, right? If you can't, then okay, how do you find 
the kinds of summits or opportunities or are paying for remote tickets to things like RailsConf Worth It or, you know, stuff like that. And so just diving into how you evaluate that and how you figure it out. So um, anyway, uh, that's going to be the next course. And it's going to talk about how they all kind of play together too, to, to put you in the best position to either change jobs to the one you want or put your best foot forward where you are or go freelance or whatever that next stage is, you know, how to submit talks to conferences if, if that's your next stage and, and stuff like that. So there's going to be a lot of that stuff covered, you know, in enough depth for you to do it. And then, yeah, I'm planning on having more uh, courses put up, like, for example, submitting to conferences. That's probably a full course on its own, but I can give you the fundamentals in, in the course to get you started if you just don't even know where to go, right? But a lot of the other stuff, it's like, how do you stay current? Well, you know, I have a whole process for that, and I'll just show you the whole dang thing, right? Because um, there's not a whole lot of nuance to that, uh, not a whole lot of conditions to that. The internet works pretty much the same way, and people figure that out. So keep an eye out for that. Um, and then I'm going to start a new podcast this next week. It's going to be called Catapult Your Coding Career. And we're just going to talk about um, I've, I've been coaching people for the last year or so, and I'm just going to talk through, you know, some of the things that they bring up and just quickly answer questions. I'm hoping to put out, I'm, I think I'm going to start with three episodes per week. They're going to be like 10 minutes each and it's going to be, Hey, here's the question. Here's the answer. Right. Um, and if there's more nuance to it, I mean, it may be, here's the question. And if this is your circumstance, here's the answer for 10 minutes. And then the next week is if this other circumstance applies, here's your answer. Right. Uh, but I, I want to give people the tools to be able to have what they want with their career. And I just don't see a lot of people talking about it. I see some general stuff about advice to get a raise or find a new job, but I don't see a lot of people talking about it with programming jobs. And in a lot of cases, the other thing is I see people feel like they're boxed into a certain kind of job. And the reality is, is you don't have to be. And so um, I just want to help people see the see their options, see their opportunities, and then be be putting themselves in a position with their learning to where they can just take advantage of stuff that comes their way. So anyway, that's what I'm going to be covering there. I mean, the ulterior motive is, is that I do offer coaching, right? And so if you feel like you need more than the 10 minutes uh, at a time, right, then you can come talk to me and figure, we'll figure something out. Um, that's also why I set up the Top End Devs membership was so that I could provide a kind of a higher level of that to people who sign up for the membership and not have it cost several hundred dollars a month like the coaching packages do. So anyway, um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of the big thing that I've got rolling this month. Um, and then you may see some changes on the Top End Devs website. And I'm going to pick stuff related to that here in a minute. So um, anyway, that, that's what I'm working on. That's that's the exciting stuff. Um, I have a whole list of other things that I want to do and that are not quite ready to be announced. So anyway, um, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you have some picks, Valentino? Yeah, I have a pick. Uh, I was playing with some uh, voice cloning uh, and recognition. Uh, software from uh, Resemble.ai. Uh, pretty uh -huh. wild platform. Uh, a You're lot doing of some Donald Trump deep fakes, huh? <laughs> well, 
Well, no, I was. They have a an Alexa uh, skill uh, oh, okay. template, so you can basically use your own custom voices for your Alexa skill, uh-huh. and use some like text to speech uh, stuff. So you you can like kind of have a conversation and use like different voices than Alexa's voice, <laughs> if you wanted to, as an example. Uh, so I've been playing with that kind of just for fun. Uh, well, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> just a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, I'm going to throw in some other AI stuff. So one of the ones that I found that I really like is called Mid Journey. And so I signed up for it. A free account gets you like 20 images or 20 queries or whatever. I can't remember. I'll have to go look it up. Or you all can go look it up. But effectively what it does is it you get added to a Discord server and then you basically give it the hashtag slash imagine and then you just type in your query, right? And so you say, um, I want... And I've used this putting together the newsletter, right? But it's effectively tells you I want this kind of setup or this kind of a thing with this style. So you can tell it like video game style or you can tell it, um, you know, hyper-realistic. You can tell it like 8K. um, And you can, I mean, you can tell it that you want to see, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff. And anyway, it's really cool. So some of the images that I've gotten back from it, I've, I've been pretty happy with. And what's interesting too is that they're, they're AI generated. So they're all original. I mean, original-ish, right? Because they have fed in a ton of artwork, right? With keywords on it and trained the AI. So some of it looks derivative and you have to be careful with some of that, right? Because if you put in like uh, the name of a real person, it will generate artwork with the face of that real person, right? And so there are laws about how you do some of that stuff. But um you know, if if you're being a little more generic, you can get all kinds of interesting stuff. So I'm going to pick that because I've really liked it. You can also type in something like, um, you know, a woman that blah, 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 right? So one of the ones I put in was like a woman listening to a podcast about programming, uh, this, that, and the other. And, you know, it generated a face, right? Now, I'm sure it looks like somebody out there. <laughs> But it didn't look like anybody that, you know, you would pick out of a crowd because you recognize the face. So anyway, uh, Mid Journey is really cool and I'm really digging it. Um, I have been playing with Chat GPT as well. Um, and one of the things, so I've had people basically tell me how useless it is. And in a lot of the use cases they're trying to use it for, I can see that it really it just it just hasn't been trained in those those areas and it also makes mistakes very, fairly frequently so in a lot of cases you really can't use it just straight up for your you know your your thing to write your content but the thing that it does do for me at least that i like is when i'm trying to put together a message about a topic again for the mailing list or things like that that's primarily where i've been using it I can get it to explain to me something that I'm thinking about and give me ideas of where to go from there. And then I can actually ask it another question and dig deeper in those areas and see what it comes back with. 
And that kind of helps me refine my thoughts. And in a lot of cases, um, it organizes things in a way that I like. Not always. Sometimes it just, it's weird. But it, it's a nice way to go. So I'm liking that. Um, I realized that we were talking about AI and I skipped the game, board game pick. So I need to go back and do that real quick. Um, now I'm going to pick a kid's game. Uh, this is one. So I have a seven-year-old daughter. And um, I think it was last Christmas, we got her a game called Sleeping Queens. And Sleeping Queens, what it is, is you, um, there are special cards, there are sleeping potions, um, there are knights and dragons and kings. And um, you use the, are there kings in that one? There are kings in the second one. Um, but anyway, so what you do is you use, um, the knight to rescue the queen. No, the knights protect your queen. So it is the king. You use the king to wake up the queen. Um, the dragons, um, steal a queen and the knights protect it. The sleeping queens put the queen to sleep and the wands keep you from putting the queen to sleep is effectively the way it works. And you have numbered cards. And so you can trade in cards to get new cards um on your turn instead of playing a card and then drawing back up um to to turn your hand over faster but they have to they have to work out to a math problem right so it can be like two plus two equals four or four equals four or you know three times five they don't there aren't 15s but two times five equals 10 right and so you can get rid of three cards that way or two plus two plus two plus four equals 10 right you get rid of your whole hand because you have five cards in your hand and so it's pretty simple um, board game geek weighted it at like 105, 1.05. So it's, it's a really simple game, but she really loved it. And, um, it was something we could all play, right? And it, it, you know, it's fast paced and interesting enough for us to play it. Um, I'm also going to pick Sleeping Queens 2, which is a little more involved. Uh, board game geek, last time I looked, hadn't rated it, hadn't ranked it yet because it's a newer game. But effectively, there, the difference is, is you have to have a queen and a an animal companion to rescue a king and then there are cards that make you swap cards uh you do the math problems to get the animal companions and so it's a little more involved i would guess it's probably a 1.5 on board game geek it, once they get a, re, a rating on it a weight on it so anyway um fun games if you've got kids uh they're both uh rated for eight plus eight years and older but like I said, my seven-year-old plays it. My six-year-old, did when she was six, she didn't have any trouble playing it. So if you're looking for a fun uh, fantasy-themed game, um, yeah, pick it up. And and all the kings and queens have um, themes to them. So they have like the um, the cookie king and the the kitty queen and the dog queen. And, you know, and so they're all dressed up and you know, drawn with, you know, stuff with their theme. So anyway, it's pretty fun. So I'm going to pick that. Um, I think that's about it. I guess the only other pick that I have is uh, we're, we're into next year or we're into this year, however you want to say that. Um, so I've been uh, catching up on my bookkeeping so I can file my taxes, which is not my pick because I, I, I think I get ripped off with that. But um, I've been using zero X-E-R-O to do my bookkeeping for the last couple of years. And it is so much easier than QuickBooks. So I'm going to pick zero. 
And I've heard I good things about zero. Yeah, it's really nice. It's funny because I have a number of friends that do different kinds of business consulting and they swear by uh, QuickBooks. The thing is, is that every time I thought I understood what I needed to do in it, there was always some other edge case with my books that just caused headaches. And Zero keeps it a lot simpler. And Zero also does the invoicing and stuff like that. I mean, anymore I use, um, if I'm going to have somebody pay me for something, I just send them a Stripe link, right? Because you can create a product and send them a link. But um, that's not to say that, you know, sending an invoice through Zero isn't sometimes the better option. And it does everything else that I need to do. Um, I used to use FreshBooks. And it, it worked great for invoicing and did I didn't like it for bookkeeping. But yeah, um, the invoicing and stuff in Zero works fine. I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. So, so yeah, so I'm going to pick them too. All right, well, let's go ahead and wrap it up here. Thanks for uh, jumping in on this, Valentino. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. There's a lot of good stuff coming. Yep, absolutely. And maybe we'll... Uh, I'm looking at deploying some of my stuff and upgrading Rails and... Um, Ruby, and then just maybe we can do an experience report of some kind. Yeah, take some notes. <laughs> yeah. One other thing I was going to throw out real quick before we wrap up is the book club. We've been talking about what we wanted to learn next, the the handful of people that have been in there. And it's been fun because um, Uncle Bob's been coming for clean architecture. But what we're looking at next is doing some kind of uh, container Kubernetes deployment book and, and working through that and talking through that. So if, if that's kind of something that you're looking to learn, uh, that's definitely an area that I wanted to focus on in top-end devs as well. And so it'll probably generate some courses and stuff in there as well. So, But sign up for the book club if you're interested because we're going to start that in February. And I guess we'll end it there. Till next time, folks, Max out. 